Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Parenthood Podcast. We've tackled some difficult topics in the past and this is another that fits into this category. The first IVF baby was born the year that I was born and in the 40 years since Louise Brown's birth, IVF has become a successful and common way for couples who are unable to conceive naturally to become pregnant. But even though it's common, there continues to be plenty of misinformation around IVF, how it's done, who qualifies and how it actually feels for the couple going through it. So today I'm joined by two experts. I've got Dr. Kiara Hunt here, my co-founder uh, and sister. Kiara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And I've also got Izzy Judd, who is an author, a musician, the mother of two gorgeous children, and someone who's been really honest about her IVF experience. So Izzy, thank you so much for joining us oh, today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, now, tell us quickly your sort of story. What, what happened to you? When did you realize you were potentially going to need some help when it came to fertility so I married Harry my husband um at Christmas time it was the most magical day I could ever have imagined and I dreamt of and the next step for me um or for us was to start a family you know growing up I had it was all I had ever wanted to be I wanted to be a mum and it took a few months to persuade my husband to let's let's actually get on with this <laughs> and I was like well we've been together eight years what are you what are we waiting for um you know I was just desperate to have a family and the first month we started trying um my period didn't start and my period always starts and uh, we went into the bathroom um we did the pregnancy test and it was negative and um shortly followed a obsession with google because that's where you go in those situations, you know. And I tried to tell myself that maybe the pregnancy hormone just hadn't risen enough yet and I'd test again in a few days. Anyway, it became clear pretty quickly that I wasn't pregnant. And I was consumed at that from that moment with a lot of fear because I had I my period always started. So I wanted to know why it hadn't. And although I had been diagnosed with polycystic ovaries um, in my early 20s, I had never been told the link between PCOS and fertility um, struck, you know, problems. So no one, had, you hadn't suspected you might have fertility problems? I hadn't put the two together. You know, I, I found out I had PCOS because I struggled with bad skin. I actually didn't have many of the other symptoms of PCOS. And I've often questioned um my diagnosis when it comes to fertility um growing up I I battled a lot with anxiety and if um you're in a heightened state of anxiety your adrenaline is going to have a huge impact on your hormonal balance and um I feel like it was a bit of a vicious circle I feel that it was that that created the issues with my fertility um Yes, and we know and we know PCOS obviously and it does is linked to infertility or subfertility, but not always. So yeah. plenty of patients who have PCOS do conceive naturally. Absolutely. Um, but stress is a big factor, isn't it? I mean, I've lost count of the amount of women I've met on the bump class who have tried and tried and tried and given up or decide they're gonna get a puppy or whatever it is, and suddenly they're pregnant. Mm. I think as well, you know, when you are going through 
the difficulties of trying to conceive. You hear a lot of these stories and it adds to this whole pressure of feeling like you need to conceive and you you almost lose sight of why you're doing it because it becomes this thing of every month it's like this monthly grind of will it be this month will it be this month and all around you your friends are are falling pregnant and you know I think it's incredibly difficult when you're going through it to hear somebody say relax um, you know, stress, all those things, especially when you are naturally inclined to be anxious or you easily get stressed. And now you're in quite possibly one of the, the most stressful situations um, and out of control. You know, we're so used to being in control and fertility is something we have no control over. And I think, you know, especially now when things just happen or we can, you know, go and you know with a click of a finger we we just we're living such a faster pace of life um suddenly fertility is out of our control and that brings on a whole new level of um expectation so did you go uh, did you start investigating straight away after that first missed period or did it take a bit of time I did go because um my period didn't start Mm. I was obviously concerned as to why it hadn't you know looking back and if I was to give myself advice or someone else advice I wish I had taken a step back and and understood that my story might not be the girl that went away on her honeymoon and fell pregnant or the girl that you know went on holiday and got pregnant this was going to take me longer but it was the not knowing that was that was so difficult um and I think for me, I did rush into the fear, I suppose, because that was my way of being in control of it. And so I was very quickly put onto um, uh, medication Clomid, um, which is helped uh, used to help people ovulate. Um, but I resisted in, in every way. And actually what followed was a very lonely, very isolating... Um, I think I was probably quite depressed... And I lost a lot of confidence. And you while know, you were on the Clomid, yeah, 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 I physically felt uncomfortable within myself. Was very bloated, and mentally, I felt um, because of what was going on, um, I just didn't want to be around people because I didn't want to have to be asked. You know, are you thinking about starting a family? Because we've been married how many months before, and you know, I just. I didn't really, I'd lost myself completely, basically. And how honest were you with your kind of closer friends that you you were worried about this? Did you, did you vocalise those fears? At the time, um, I didn't speak to people about it because I wanted to have that, my moment to say, I'm 12 weeks pregnant. You know, I wanted to be that friend that could say, you know, oh, you know, we're expecting a baby. Um... And also, the longer it went on, I think I, you know, I really felt quite ashamed that I wasn't able to get pregnant. And I felt, you know, this is the thing that women are supposed to do, and, I can't, and I'm failing. And, and at what stage? This is still only a few months of trying, and you're already feeling like that. Yeah. And I, and I think, possibly, you know, I'm, I'm a bit older than Harry, so a lot of my friends were having babies, and... I didn't know of anybody else that was having difficulty, Mm. um, apart from a very, very close friend. Um, I had nobody really to talk to. And also, you know, if they are pregnant, you don't want to be talking about, you know, unhappy things. um, Because you desperately want to be happy for them, but you feel so gutted for yourself. You very quickly don't actually want to be around those people. And then, you know... You isolate yourself. You isolate yourself. And actually, you're you don't like the person you've become because you want to be so happy for someone else, but you, you're just so sad for yourself. And that can then start to affect your relationship and how you're, how excited you are about the future. Well, this is absolutely what happens. So after another round um, of Clomid and on this occasion, I actually have a fear of taking pregnancy tests. I think there's two types of us, ones that test all month long mm-hmm. and the others that would, you know, just rather not pee on those sticks. Mm-hmm. So for me, I I would much rather my period start than have to see a negative or an empty hole. I just... Mm-hmm. So um, 
on this occasion, my period had started, and it was, so it was another failed uh, kind of clomid round. And I went downstairs, and I looked at Harry, and I was so um, numb to feeling anything. I actually didn't know what to say to him. I felt so broken by that point. And, you know, because I felt I was letting him down. I was letting my family down. I, I, I just, it was just awful. And he, he held my hands. I remember, and I remember it so clearly. And he just said, worst case scenario, Izzy, it's, it's you and me. And at that moment, I just thought, I totally forgotten you in all of this. And actually, I married you and you make me happy and we're so lucky that we have each other. And thanks to that comment, I, that, literally that night, I set to and decided I was going to stop trying, was going to stop taking medication and I went on a huge um, mind, body, everything detox. And that was kind of the shift of, of it all. And at this stage, had he, you obviously been on the Clomid, had, had Harry been, had all the testing been done that your fertility both seemed to be fine? Yeah, so, I mean, at that point, we knew basically that, yeah, he, he was all clear mm. and um, everything for me was normal apart from this polycystic, polycystic ovaries. Yeah. Um, so I started to look at alternative ways of treating polycystic ovaries, which, um, you know, there's obviously a nutrition mm. um, supplements um there's all sorts of other ways that you can get yourself in in a good fertile space and actually it's good to know these things whether you're trying for a baby or not to Mm. live a fertile life is Mm. actually um not a bad thing for any of us and very very quickly I noticed the benefits from more sleep just simple just the Mm. most basic simple things but Mm. sleep Mm water um exercise that I wanted to do not that I thought I should be doing so swim I loved I I started swimming and walking and Mm. I loved um yoga and I it was just taking a step back and thinking about what I needed to get through this period of of our life how was I going to make the best out of this pretty Mm. rubbish situation Mm. and how was I going to feel better because I couldn't carry on giving myself, you know, being so unkind to myself. Mm. Um, It wasn't fair on me or or Harry, really. So that put you in a happier place mentally? Absolutely. It really did. And I really believed... I I always said to Harry, I believe it's going to happen. Mm. I just don't know when. Mm. And And that was what I kind of kept holding on to, really. And at what point did that, when did you then move on? If that, that obviously didn't work. Yeah. I mean, from a pregnancy point, yeah. it did make you feel happier. And, it it and really did. Place. It did make me feel happy. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I had my days that mm. were hard mm. and, you know, seeing people that were pregnant, mm. um, uh, you know, it, it wasn't easy, but I certainly was in a better headspace. And, but after, um, you know, a good kind of six months, I did say to Harry, um, I think we should consider IVF um more because I suppose I was not thinking necessarily about one but maybe our family and our future and and you know to put this into perspective how old were you at this stage I was 31 30 31 so young in terms of fertility yeah I was young but people don't make you feel young when you're sort of not conceiving and people are saying tick tock yeah exactly and there's a lot in the media and it's a difficult thing and I I do think that we need to perhaps have a little look at education around fertility, um, not just as women, but actually, you know, the modern family and how things are mm. changing. And mm. of, obviously we're taught um, how not to get pregnant, which is absolutely <laughs> crucial, but we're not taught anything about our monthly cycle. And so the first time I properly, um, and how it connects to us as a woman, mm. you know, hormonally, mm. how your body changes every cycle, what's normal, what's not. Yeah, normal. what to look out for, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I kind of, I suppose, was looking at it from a slightly more practical point of view. But Harry, very quickly, I think he felt going through IVF was the last resort whereas for me it was hope Mm. and 
it was the first time I felt there was a possibility that this might happen. Mm. I think Harry was worried that I had, having got back to kind of having his wife back, mm. that then going and doing IVF would put me back at square one. But actually having done all that preparation, I couldn't have been in a better place mm. mentally and physically to go through one of the most grueling mm. experiences of my life, really. And did you go straight for IVF or did you do... IUI or artificial insemination? So after Clomid, we did one round of um, IUI. Um, but PR, which clarification, is, which, yes. uh, intrauterine insemination, which essentially is where they prepare your body to receive the sperm, make sure you're ovulating, and then inject the sperm or insert the sperm yes. at the right time exactly. um, of the cycle to maximise the chance of conceiving. That's essentially, it. Having kind of washed and prepared the sperm. And the benefit to me of that was that my doctor then knew because I didn't respond to the stimulating uh, the drugs yeah so by the time I went into my first round of IVF they gave a higher dose than they normally would have done mm. so, so you got some benefit from that I got knowledge. some benefit yeah. and knowledge even though it, yeah it yeah. didn't result in a pregnancy mm. and you've talked you just mentioned and said that IVF was one of the most grueling experiences of your life I think this is really important to talk about because it's not something that is talked about enough and I come across so many people that think IVF is just a couple of injections and a bit of indignity with your legs open but don't realize quite how intrusive and invasive and you know how it takes up so much headspace as well mm. was that something that surprised you it did surprise me um I think the way I managed that was to slightly separate myself from the medical side of things. So my main kind of goal was to really, really concentrate on how I was feeling mentally and let the doctors take over my body and almost trust what they were doing. I mean, obviously, there's holistic things you can do. Um, for your body but in terms of because they basically shut down my complete natural system Mm. um, and took over me basically Um, but the mind is so so powerful in the connection um, to making babies Mm. um, that that was my kind of my focus rather than yeah more of the scientific side Mm. well Um, and also it's quite good just letting the doctors do their job And then you do your job, which is trying to manage the anxiety or whatever is kind of challenging you from a sort of psychological point of view. And expectation. You know, I didn't go into this round, the first round, thinking this is the round. I sort of projected thinking this is the start of this journey. Mm. And, um, you know, there is a side to IVF. Yes, I mean, don't get me wrong, Harry was on tour and I was injecting in, in the um, portaloos, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, the reality of it, and, and nobody knows. And you're going through this uh, in incredibly invasive time in your life and you just walk around as if everything's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but there is also a side to IVF that is incredibly magical if you allow yourself to to go there and you know for for us you know everything is a hurdle race through IVF each time you get to the next stage to the next stage and you hope you'll get over it to get to the next hurdle but the day we were lucky enough to get to um transfer which is when they they put the embryo back and um the embryologist brings it through you know and um it's projected onto a screen and you can see your embryo and I'm sat with Harry and you're in this really clinical environment and yet there is something just magical and um there was our that was the first kind of sign the closest I had got to what Mm. our future might be Mm. and there it was and they they put it back and it's like a flash of light um you know and it, it was incredibly emotional and even though it wasn't the way you hope you conceive I'm so glad that we had that and we experienced that moment together and we shared that and you know for those two weeks which are anybody going through any kind of fertility you know the two-week wait is is the toughest Mm. Um, especially with IVF because you're basically left to go and you don't have any appointments during that time you're literally alone but you have 
part of you and part of your partner with you and for those two weeks they're there and in a way I almost didn't want them to end because you know even if you don't know if you're pregnant or not you still feel you've got an embryo inside exactly exactly yeah hey it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kiara, I think it'd be really useful just to have a kind of vague idea for people that don't know about IVF, what vaguely the procedure is. How does it, what what can you expect? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the whole cycle takes quite a long time. It's longer than you expect. So each IVF cycle is anywhere between three and six weeks, often up to up to six weeks. And essentially what they're doing is they're stimulating you, your body to produce as many eggs as possible, safely possible, then taking them, collecting them. And they're scanning you, aren't they? Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you each stage as we go along, but essentially taking them, collecting them, fertilizing them in the, in the laboratory, watching them grow in the laboratory to a stage where they're going to be hopefully good enough to continue growing inside you, put them back inside you, and then wait and see if the body takes it up. But there are there are sort of stages involved that people, that sounds like quite a, an easy, quick process, you know, stimulate the eggs, take the eggs, fertilize them, put them back in, and it's really not. So there's sort of six main stages, and the first one, they, they suppress your hormone cycle completely. So for, for two weeks, you have daily injections, don't you, of hormones that are, depending on what your cycle's like, either sort of... Um, sort of uh, it's either an agonist or an antagonist it's suppressing or not your your cycle so that gets to a level that um that they can control essentially and it's daily injections or a nasal spray did you have the injections or nasal spray um in my um particular protocol Mm. i was actually put on the pill for a month before i started because um i i wasn't having any period so they needed to bring on a bleed so um then it was injections I had, yeah. yeah. And then they give you an injection of, the, of a different type of hormone, the follicle-stimulating hormone, which is what's starting to boost your egg supply. And during that, those weeks, they are monitoring you quite close, aren't, you, with, aren't they, with yeah, scans? Absolutely. So you're having, and some clinics will scan you every day, some scan some every few days, some every week. So it does depend on the protocol you're on. Um, and that usually lasts about up to two, so 10 to 12 days or so of those injections. And what, what was it like giving yourself those injections? So um, I, I don't mind needles, but I do feel for people that mind needles because yeah. they're not small. Yeah. Um, Harry and I actually did the first injection together, which I think is yeah. quite nice yeah. um, to share that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would always say a an affirmation, so... I always would say amazing things will happen as I would mm. inject. And mm. I think it's those sort of little things mm. that make it more human and less, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a horrible idea, the idea it of is, injecting yourself. It is a horrible idea. Um, but I think it's also not, it becomes not as bad as you imagine. I think, I, I think a lot of people are really scared of the idea of well, injecting And themselves. also it's like how amazing that science has given us this gift yeah. that, you know, this, this is what it's doing and, you know. Yeah, uh, and some people. I, I think it's important to sort of tell people that most of my patients who are going through this say that it's it's hard kind of getting your head around the idea of injecting, but it's actually not as bad as it it's sounds. It's really not as bad, and you get into the rhythm of it, and um, you know there are side effects. I, I was, um, you know, you you feel very bloated, and you know you you do need to make sure you're looking after yourself mm. during mm. those times, and and as best you can clear your diary. Yeah. 
So then, so you're giving yourself these hormone injections and then when the the scans are showing that there's the right number of eggs at the right stage, they give you the final booster injection, don't they? Yes, the trigger. um, The trigger, exactly. And then you can go and usually two days after that, uh, 48 hours after that, to go and have the eggs collected. Mm -hmm. And that's quite a big deal, going to have the eggs collected. It's usually done under sedation or sometimes under general anaesthetic. Did you have... I was... It was, I was incredibly frightened about yeah. being sedated. It, yeah. it was a, a light sedation. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I, to this day, you know, I've, I've, never, I've never been sedated. So mm. I was very frightened. Um, but the nurses were amazing. And, um, mm. But, yeah, for me, that was one of the toughest things through the cycle. Mm. Um, but, you know, my clinic were really good. I, I talked to them about how nervous I was. So mm. they made sure I was earlier in the day so mm. I didn't have to wait so long. Mm. Uh, you know, so I think it's important you tell your clinic yeah. if there are things that yeah. you're feeling more nervous about because you've got to try and feel as, as calm as you can, yeah. really. Yeah. So, But do you, you, you're not aware of them doing it when you were sedated or were you aware of it? No, but apparently, because it's such a light state, apparently I talked the yes. whole way through yeah. my collection. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, but actually when I came around, I was really emotional. I could yeah. not stop crying. Yeah. Um, and Harry wasn't there because obviously he was doing his mm-hmm. part yeah. in all of this. And that's quite important. So while you're having your eggs collected, your partner is is giving a fresh sample. Yes. Um, so that that can be sort of used at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. But he wasn't there to support you, which no, is quite hard. I know, it's a funny sort of feeling that. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. And having what they're actually doing when they're collecting the eggs, obviously you're sedated, so you're not really aware. But they're going um, through the vagina. It's not they're not making a cut in the skin to collect the eggs. Yes. Usually, they're going through the vagina, and then they're using a little needle to aspirate to suck out the eggs um, that have been sort of stimulated to be there. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing takes about fifteen or twenty minutes. Um, and um, yeah, it's not a small thing. You can get quite quite cramp quite a lot of cramping yeah I mean I was quite afterwards. uncomfortable when I came around but they were very quick to give me the right pain relief yeah but it's basic you know it's an extreme period pain that's mm. how I experienced yes. it anyway yeah, yeah exactly and and sort of at home you can you do do you feel well enough to work the next day yeah I mean I left within a couple of yeah. hours but um, usually you've got that crampy pain for a day or two yeah or yeah you just feel uncomfortable yeah 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 and then you've obviously got the news about how many eggs yeah. they've managed to collect which is quite a big deal isn't it yes it is a really big deal and you have to wait usually about 16 to 20 hours after collection to kind of get an idea of the quality of the eggs so that's a bit of a waiting period too yeah, it's not it, immediately they can tell you oh yeah they're great yeah wait is many. the word in all of this mm. yeah um and, and in the lab they either they either just mix the sperm sample and the and the eggs together and see what happens or sometimes especially if it's been a bit trickier they'll do um, you might hear the word ICSI, which is... Yeah, so we had ICSI. You did have ICSI. Yeah. So that's, it's called intracytoplasmic sperm injection, uh, which is basically where they're injecting the sperm into the egg, so they're choosing a really good one, inject, you know, get it, just helping it, giving it the best possible chance of getting yeah. it. Yeah, um, but not it. not everyone has that, and that's more of just a lab process that you, you can choose yeah. to try. Yeah. And how many eggs do they um, fertilise? Is there is it was as many as possible, or how does that work? So as far as I'm, I'm aware, so f- in, in our case, obviously they look to see which eggs are viable. Um, Carol, you have mm. to yeah, yeah, correct no, me if I'm... Um, but uh, in my... I mean, it really varies, obviously, from woman to woman, how many you collect. Having polycystic ovaries, my issue wasn't getting the eggs. So I actually collected um, a, almost too many. So I, was, I had about 21 but what amazes me in all this is that from 21, 12 fertilized. Which is a, a lot, actually. Which is a lot. Yeah. But if you think, if you're taking yeah. kind of 21 months. Yeah. Um, yeah. But actually, by the end of it, by the day f- um, where it gets to blastocyst yeah. day five, I had um, three. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, if you think you're trying for 21 months, yeah, absolutely. it kind of does give you an idea of how difficult it actually is mm. to, um, you know, and sadly, my, my, my first round, although I did get pregnant, did end in miscarriage. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, just look, just to get, give people an idea of what normal fertility is, you know, you think oh, you come off the pill and you're going to get pregnant straight away. For normal, healthy, fertile couples, only 80%, 85% will get pregnant in the first year, in the first 12 months, you know, of, of having intercourse regularly. And uh, in the second 12 months, only another 8% will. So, mm. and that's people who have normal fertility, have no issues. Yeah. 
And it's not a high number. Getting pregnant is hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for most, for a lot of people. Yeah, which makes you well, makes me question the the amount of um, power of our minds and what's going on in our lives mm. that might affect all those chances. Mm. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just to finish on the process, they, they in the lab they fertilize as many as they can that are looking good, and then they watch them. Usually, it's about six days of watching them to to, to five or six days get to get mm-hmm. to blastocyst stage and see which ones are actually looking like they're going to go anywhere. Yeah, and um, you get a phone call from the um, well, we did with our clinics, not yeah. necessary, but yeah. you know, I I got uh, you know our, our embryologists would call between eight and half, half eight in the morning to let us know how they're getting on oh, every day every day apart oh, from um I think it's day four where they don't know what they're doing there's not enough information yeah. between to, before they become a blastocyst yeah. so that's a difficult day yeah because you don't get that phone call and, yeah. and you you know willing them on really yeah and during yeah. this time, you're getting a, a hormone, normally a vaginal pessary or yes, a gel, the progesterone. the progesterone, which is preparing your womb yeah. to receive the embryo once it's once it's ready. So that can also make you feel quite bloated. Yeah, um, but, um, yeah, very uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I felt I actually had to change the type of progesterone I was yeah. on. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a lot for it's a body a lot, to take on. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not an easy thing. And then, no. and then there's the transfer. So if you're lucky enough to get embryos that are good enough to a good quality enough to have gone past the blastocyst stage and 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 go back inside the body, they'll do the embryo transfer, which is much less invasive than the egg collection. Yeah, you're not sedated normally. It's a bit like having a smear test. Would you would you yeah. say it's not any more sort of traumatic no, than that? No. And they use Apart it. You've got the emotions, obviously. No, I mean yeah. physically. I'm purely thinking. Yeah. yeah, very. You know, it's very emotional. But they'll they'll pop. They'll put the embryo in uh, through a little little tube, essentially a little um, straw, almost. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I absolutely. I was um, uh, interested at how sensitive um, the clinic I was at, how they were about the environment that was around me during transfer. So the lights were very much dimmed. Um, they almost, I don't know, it, they talked to me in a way that didn't make me feel clinical. That's really good. So, Because yeah, I think it can feel very clinical for a lot of women. Yeah, and they, and they asked if I wanted some particular music. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, it is. It's an, that's the time, that embryo, that part of yeah. the both of you is you know, yeah. go, going into you. And a lot of the, the team around you are mm. willing it on. Mm. You know, They want it for you. Mm. Um, I mean, as often people want to know about, like, you know, how many to put in, how many will they put in, yeah. and all that. Uh, and that usually you have a conversation with your clinic about that. And we're quite strict in this country now um, about not putting in too many. Yeah. Um, and for most women, uh, it's one, unless you're over a certain age or the quality isn't looking very good when they'll put two in. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you, the information? Yeah. So you got? for us, um, the first cycle, we were told it was best to just put one. Back. But actually, when we went back for our frozen uh, round, um, there was talk of doing two. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it was decided that it would just be one. And yeah. by your frozen man, you mean that so the embryos that hadn't been transferred were was frozen, were stored. Exactly. Which means that if you've got, if you're lucky enough to have more that have been frozen, if you need to go through further rounds of IVF, you don't have to go through all the egg collection. It's just yeah. the embryo transfer, which is much easier from your point of view isn't it yeah. physically <laughs> yes exactly although it still blows my mind that you know I there were two we had two frozen embryos mm. and that somebody went that day and just literally it was almost like eeny meeny miny mo, mm. you know and they they picked my daughter Lola mm. um but I often wonder about the other little being and you think of all these sort of little lives you know there and I often wonder how other women feel about those frozen embryos and the attachment that they might feel and well I think it's a very emotional thing because um you have to make a decision about what happens to that embryo and for couples who've completed their family they may have a couple or more frozen embryos left in storage but then they don't want any further children and you have to make a decision about what you do with those yeah. And I think that's very difficult for it a is, lot of couples. It is very difficult. And I think, you know, initially when we went for like our first consultations and when we were going through the process, we were talked about um, donating for research. So not necessarily um, a fertilised um, embryo, okay. but, you know, um, prior to that. Yeah. And I, I, I do, 
in hindsight wish I had donated um, my eggs for research yeah. um, but I just at that point wasn't in that headspace but IVF is still so new really it's only as you were saying mm. Marina at the start it's only 40 years old mm. um, and without you know material to so, actually research yeah it's yeah and it's not an easy um, thing because it's so emotive yeah yeah did they did they ask you were you asked if you wanted to oh yeah they absolutely did but I just don't think at that po- at that m- moment you're not really thinking about that mm. you know and um with makes it even more clinical as well doesn't it when you're thinking yeah, about research and that. I think so um, and Harry I think felt slightly more um he felt funny about it mm. um you know and I have to obviously respect how yeah we both felt yeah. um well, I think particularly at the embryo stage, because you can you can opt to, to donate embryos for research, mm. which doesn't mean they're going to grow the embryo any further than it already is. But you know, they yeah. can they can do very, you know very valuable research on on embryos yeah. that aren't you know going to be are going to otherwise be destroyed. Yeah, uh, and I think that every year they they uh, they ask you if you want to keep them. Is that right? Yeah. So really yeah, we just, yeah. So it. we get a letter every year, and it gives you various options. So you know, continue storage. Um, but the one that really gets me is um, allow to perish, which just seems a tick box. You yeah, have to tick. just or or obviously you know for for donation. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's that's not great wording, is it? <laughs> no, it's not great wording. You know, and how I could ever even consider that, I also find yeah. difficult. Yeah. Have you had the conversation about if you if you decide not to have any more children, what you what you'd? Yeah. So we we. Um, I, I just assumed we would be going back uh, for that frozen embryo. Yeah. And, um, but after Lola was born a year later, um, I fell pregnant naturally with my son, Kit. Um, and actually at the time I was writing my book, um, Dare to Dream, which is my own personal story of trying for a family. Um, and so I was very much talking about fertility. And I thought, how am I going to now be that person that had IVF and then she fell pregnant naturally. It's yeah. that story you hear. Yeah. But actually people were, you know, so kind and came back saying how much hope it gives them and that this can happen. And mm. um, But I was totally shocked. I mean, mm. I was, I mean, obviously we knew what we were doing yes. in that we had had the discussion that if anything happens, wouldn't that be wonderful? But, yeah. you know, I just... We just didn't think it at all. (laughs) No, and it was New Year's Day. I mean, it was so cliche. And I just thought, you know, how? Mm. After everything, Mm. was that, you know, did that happen? And But we do often, I sometimes get the feeling that something's missing. Mm. Um, And I don't know whether that's just because there's one left. Maybe if I have more. But it's just that feeling of that could have been Lola that I Mm. never met and Mm. how sad that would be. But if you had six embryos in storage. Yeah. And obviously, there's no guarantee to make. that yeah. it would work either. Yeah. But it's just that, ah, oh, yeah, it yeah. sits with me. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I can understand that. So uh, we talk, We mentioned uh, earlier that sort of two-week wait. So you know, transferred the embryo in it, when you're going through IVF, and then you've yeah. got that too. And that I think is the hardest part, isn't it? Because they just leave you. Uh, quite rightly, there's nothing they can do yeah. to wait for that pos- that pregnancy it's, test. It is the toughest time. Um, for me it was Christmas it was beginning of December so oh end of November beginning Mm. of December so I spent the evenings um listening to Christmas carols (laughs) putting up the tree wrapping presents um I put my wedding scrapbook together something I had been meaning to do (laughs) and hadn't got round to um which was really therapeutic and um I did a lot of visualizing so um I love um mindfulness and and those sorts of things and so I would um and meditation and so I would really imagine the embryo um implanting so I would imagine like the lining of my womb being like roots of a tree holding mm. on to the embryo and really and projected becoming pregnant projected the the positive test and really in my mind sort of wanted willing my body on almost um which I think can be quite helpful did um, you do that for both sex so the first one which didn't work yes did you just do use I the same did technique? and actually you know having gone through and put myself through so much through the first cycle um to have then miscarried was mm. you know utterly um devastating 
And I thought to myself then, my, my knee-jerk reaction with Harry was, well, we've got to go back. We need to do another round now. You know, mm. this is... Uh, um, and... He, very, you know, is always my rational mind in all of this. You, know, so you need time, Izzy, to grieve and to mm-hmm. give your body a chance mm-hmm. to, you know... Reset. Reset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I think one of the cruelest things with early miscarriage as well is that you keep bleeding. Mm-hmm. So it's this constant reminder, you mm-hmm. know, for weeks. And um, so we decided... So Harry fortunately sort of said to me, look, I think you need to have a break and I was worried about whether I could get myself back into that same place again but I but I did and I think you you know your other, your alternative option is not to so mm. so I did and I did everything exactly the same both and it times worked. yeah but yeah. you can imagine you know plenty of women who have failed cycle after failed cycle after failed cycle and that yeah. just is very difficult to stay positive incredibly to... difficult and I meet so many women and talk to so many couples who have gone through multiple rounds mm. um and and yeah. you know obviously the NHS provides some uh, IVF but I think the majority of cycles are privately funded in the UK I think it I think the NHS funds 41% of, of cycles in the UK and the rest mm. are funded privately. And then, you know, added to that are the financial worries because this isn't a cheap process, is it, Kiara? Yeah. No, I mean, I think um, you have to qualify for IVF on the NHS, which is not always easy. Uh, you have to be young. Well, you have to be younger than 43. If you're 43 or older, they won't, they, you're not, not eligible. But you also have to have been trying for two years um, or have had 12, and it's 12 failed AIs. So uh, 12 lots of failed uh, artificial insemination oh or IUI, goodness. which yeah. is, you know, it's just a long old time. And then there's obviously a waiting list to get onto the web. Well, and the huge, I but, talk a lot about the postcode lottery. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the NHS suggests, but then it's the it's the... Um, your local authority that's going to decide on the you know whether whether that is actually the case for your area or not. Yeah. So many people who fit those criteria don't actually don't actually get free, free, any free cycles, and some get one cycle, some get two, some even do three. Yeah. So a lot of women either are not eligible and the only option is private, or have been through the NHS cycles and and the only option is private if they can afford it. And it's not cheap. It's upwards of I think nowadays it's upwards of five thousand yeah. per cycle. Um, and it can be quite a lot more than that. It can it? be a lot more than that, depending on the blood tests you want to do, the extra tests you want to do. Um, the medication. The medication yeah. costs a fortune. Um, so, I mean, listen, we're so lucky to have any free cycles on the NHS in this country. Um, so I think we should be really grateful for that. Um, but, you know, it, it is something that is done very commonly in the private sector. And actually, um, I, I was a talk not long ago about... Uh, um, egg sharing have you ever come across that so lots yeah. of the private clinics uh, offer you know free IVF cycles essentially um if you fit certain criteria of all the fertility hormones being high and being of a young you know youngish age and collecting enough eggs mm. um so that that's an interesting option for people and what, who, what exactly does that involve Kiara? so that is um if you fit those criteria, if you're young, you, you've got unexplained fertility and, you know, there's a good chance of you having lots of eggs, you can go and have a round of IVF in a private clinic and you don't pay for it, but uh, uh, you have to share, you have to, you get to keep half the eggs that you harvest and donate the other half um, into a, you know, to an egg bank. You know, it's very easy to donate sperm and lots of men do it, but it's much harder to donate eggs as, we just, as we've just talked mm. about. Um, and there's a, uh, you know, that's very closely monitored and regulated um, practice, yeah. but that we we do see a bit more of it now. Yeah, and it's it is you know it's good for people to know that there is that option if they have financial constraints and are not eligible for treatment on the NHS. Yeah, I think what I understand from um, I was recently involved um, in a campaign actually uh, um, for the Fertility Network, which mm-hmm. is Scream, and it's it's basically. Um, for NH for whoever is getting treatment on the NHS for it to be fair across the board mm. so that there is one rule for everybody yeah. and that's what what is so incredibly difficult and also i think if i'm right in saying that on average it takes 3 cycles generally for they want to have 3 cycles 
to for success. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. because I the right? chances of, of of getting pregnant on IVF is not one hundred percent. No, absolutely. You know, if, and I think that's also a bit yeah, of an assumption. Yeah, uh, people think you if know? you go down IVF, you know, it's all done in the lab and you get pregnant. It's not at all. Yeah. If you're young, if you've got unexplained fertility and you're young, the best stats are about thirty percent, twenty nine to thirty percent chance yeah. of getting pregnant, and that goes down to two percent if you're over forty four. Yeah. So you know, for 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 less than thirty five year olds, for under thirty fives, it's I think twenty nine percent is the current statistic but um if you're you know more than 44 it's two percent if you're if you're 43 to 44 it's three percent mm. you know it's it's not um and that's obviously using your own eggs mm-hmm. because it's your egg quality that decreases as you get older and um you could obviously choose to use donor eggs if your eggs are mm. are past it and i think that's when you're about to embark on fertility treatment mm-hmm. statistics can be quite overwhelming yeah and I think a lot of the clinics are driven by statistics. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you read them too closely, um, it can be, I think, detrimental in terms of mentally how you're preparing yourself. And so I would always say, obviously, it's important to do your research with the clinic. But I think it's where you feel most comfortable, where you feel listened to yeah. and where you have you feel like you've, you, you're being nurtured through it yeah I think that's one of certainly the feedback I get from my patients is if you feel like there's somebody who's your point of contact that's uh, holding your hands it well all the way through the process that's the most you know you're most likely to feel um comfortable during your IVF cycle yeah um and I think also looking at statistics what you want to be looking at is the live birth rate not the pregnancy rate and you'll find quoting a very high pregnancy rate um which is obviously great to get pregnant but if there's a high chance you're then going to miscarry it's it's mm. not it's not what what woman who's going through IVF wants to know is am I going to have a baby at the end of this mm. not just am I going to get pregnant mm. well and if it becomes all about the statistics then surely there's an incentive for IVF clinics to reject the more tricky cases you mm. know the the much older the mothers the the much more the mothers with much graver problems which actually isn't isn't fair yeah Right. But I think that is regulated because um, the HFEA do do regulate all the clinics. Um, so I think that's, that's not allowed. But uh, very often the, the, some of these clinics get the harder cases because they failed elsewhere. So they yeah. move on. So, yeah. But yes, that's definitely a risk, I suppose. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the pregnancy. I mean, once you got past 12 weeks, then, of course, you could share the news with people. But, mm. you know, pregnancy is a tense time anyway. I think everyone, yeah. you know, starts to worry. But then your baby's born. And I see this quite a lot on the bump class. I see a demographic of women who are used to being in control, who are used to sort of getting what they want. And I've always said, you know, kind of becoming a parent is like a big equalizer in life everyone just wants the same thing whatever their background they just want a healthy baby but often then when you've got a baby you realize how blimming hard it is to look Mm. after a baby and it's not all fun and games and it's not all perfect instagram shots and you're not always enjoying it all of the time do you think there's more pressure on women who have struggled to have a baby and have gone through the rigors of ivf to feel sort of blessed at every moment and then to feel even more guilty when inevitably they have those moments and they think I'm not sure I want to be a mother today because we all have them all of us have them yeah absolutely um it's such a great question because it's something that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment my my two are still very small and I almost feel like the trauma of trying for a baby I haven't had the chance to really process because through after suffering a miscarriage I never allowed myself to enjoy a pregnancy even even when I got past 12 weeks I I was so on edge and I think going through any sort of fertility issue or baby loss anything like that um takes away the innocence and the naivety of yeah of of pregnancy and so yes I got the pram and I washed the clothes and I the nursery and you know I researched all those things and I was totally prepared because I suppose those are the things you can control um nothing prepared me for the change that becoming a mother brought with it and you know as I said in at the beginning of the podcast all I ever wanted was to be a mum and yet um motherhood is not 
how I expected it to be and things that I want from my life are different now um you know I still I still feel like I have lots of ambition and I still have lots of things that I I want to continue doing I I don't want to lose me in all of this um and I have you know at times felt overwhelmed by the responsibility of, of motherhood and I think being somebody that deals with all that by being in control when you've got small children you know they are <laughs> in control and you know something someone said to me um it was actually Emma Cannon um who spoke to me about who's an Emma Cannon yeah. yeah acupuncturist but uh, and so much more yeah, yeah, <laughs> she's absolutely. an absolute yeah. yeah um talking about this idea of flexibility and you know this idea that we should bend and I thought it really resonated with me because I wanted so much to get everything right and do it all perfectly um and actually it, it's just not possible and so you know I'm I'm a firm believer that things happen in our life for a reason and I really believe that that process I went through for IVF was to prepare me <laughs> for motherhood because it taught me so so much about myself um and you know I still battle and I still and as you say you know when you've gone through you know trying for a baby um you feel so guilty forever admitting that it's difficult mm. and it's something I really struggle about talking about because you know I I I feel know like how you should be loving every minute yeah of it it's not, it, not and, every, and no one does no that's it and also just um it's a whole new chapter of learning and discovering and you but know right from the beginning I remember when I was in obstetrics and I was on, on the on the wards and you know generally the IVF babies you know, the doctors would often say well, you know this is a precious one isn't it well, it's no more precious than any other baby yeah. but what they're meaning is it's taken a long time to get there but when right from the beginning you're even being sort of oh yes this one is extra you know. and also how people around you so even you know family members or or friends or might think that you're perceiving your child to be different mm. when actually you most likely be the same mother you know and and I sometimes find that hard because you know I would never want Lola to think that she's any more special than any other mm. child she's just as special especially with Kit you know they're equally yeah exactly very special in their own unique ways and but it's almost like I think women who've gone through IVF need to be given permission not to love it the whole time mm. and that doesn't mean you're a bad mother it doesn't mean you don't deserve this precious baby it just means you're human and it's so exhausting trying to deny the feelings that you've got yeah. the feelings when you're exhausted and you just want something different for today mm. where you hand over your baby and you skip out of the door and you don't feel guilty but then you feel guilty because you don't feel guilty oh, it's just awful isn't it it's giving yourself permission you know, I think that's something I've I've really had to learn that, you know, um, that it's okay mm. to sometimes do something for you because, you know, you and that actually you're probably a better mother as a result of it. Yeah, yeah, but it's always hard, isn't it? I mean, I I turned to my mum. I was with mum the other day, and I'm very close to my mum. And I said to my mum, I just feel so guilty. I can't win if I'm with them. I feel guilty because I feel like I'm not you know, carving pumpkins <laughs> or, you know, I've not got the right fancy dress or, or whatever it might, or I haven't done enough with them today or Lola needs to be doing this, but Kit's still, you know, mm. chewing everything. And, um, and I said, but then when I go to work, I feel guilty because I'm not with them. And, mm. and she literally turned to me and she just went, welcome to motherhood. <laughs> and she just said, it never stops. I still feel it now. And I did, and it, but it was so comforting mm. to hear your mum say that because mm. it, you do feel, you know, alone. And actually, I think you're quite unkind to yourself as a mum. Would you agree? Yeah. Like the things you say to yourself. It's very hard on yourself. Yeah. Everyone, all mothers are. And yeah. I think, you know, today we've got Instagram and social media and we share those amazing, perfect moments to so many people, which, you know, a generation ago we wouldn't have been done. So, so you look at other people's lives and you think, that family are always having a great time. Those kids always look super happy. Yeah. They're always perfectly dressed. The mother just always looks totally put together. Yeah. But that's not reflective of their actual life. No. That's just the, you know, the one photo a day they choose to post and share and filter. And, and you know, that's not what life is about. But I do think that puts slightly more pressure on us as, as parents. And you think, 
God, my, my day definitely wasn't like that. Well, you know what? Her day probably wasn't either, but she just managed to get a photo that, you know, in one snap snapshot of the day did manage to portray a day as slightly mm. perfect. Yeah, mm. that's it. And I think, you know, I certainly feel with, with what I do on social media, I try to reflect the reality of what our family life is actually like. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know how you feel, but it is strange, this sort of new social media world and I think you know for me writing uh, Dare to Dream opened up this community which actually was so therapeutic for me and helped me so much by talking to other people mm. um, and actually once I I'd, had released the book and then went on to have the two children I thought I actually don't want to just now be like and now look at my two yeah. children yeah. Um, because fertility stays with me it's still so close to me the subject still fascinates me mm. and um, so now I'm, I'm trying to think of other ways to try and think of social media to give to people and to, to, to make this community and, and one of the um, things I'm working on at the moment is a slightly more um, mindfulness for, for mums but I know the word mindfulness can be thrown about a bit but actually when you do have small children, it is the one thing you can do with them to, to see life through a ch- child's eye and actually take time out in the day to put your phone to one side and actually, mm. you know, discover everything they're discovering for the first time. You're actually well, mindful without mindful. even realising yeah, that you're being... being mindful of what of them and their perception of life at that moment. Exactly. Um, so I'm finding that helpful. And slowing down. I think we lead life very fast pace, and that's because technology allows us to do it. But, you know, we're recording this in November. I'm sure all three of us sitting here thinking about Christmas yeah. presents and what we're <laughs> going to buy and how we're going to make that Christmas so magical. But I think we often underestimate that what our children crave most from us is our time to sit down with them with no other distraction with no phone and no even agenda not like we're going to play this game and we're going to achieve this it's literally just sit down and chat and do nothing and have no end or do what they want to do that might be you know picking Mm. up you know specks of dust from the floor or counting ants yeah (laughs) and the and the fact they have no sense of time Mm. that also you know i think we can learn so much through through children Mm. Um, Last year, I started the day with, with the year with a New Year's resolution, saying I'm not going to use the words "hurry up" to my children because I'm always telling them, "Hurry up, hurry up, quick sticks." <laughs> it didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, you've gone back, back to it. Um, but Izzy, it's it's really great talking about this. You mentioned at the beginning that this was, you know, your IVF uh, and your fertility struggle was something you kept to yourself. You're now very open. You've written a book about it. You're about to um, launch a podcast, which we're going to talk about in a second. When did you make that decision? And and did you feel that the decision sort of benefited you? And did you maybe think about wish, wishing that you'd done it beforehand, earlier? Yeah, so because Harry is in the public eye, I suppose there was this slight expectation for us to announce the pregnancy. And I spoke to Harry and basically said, I just don't feel comfortable um, not telling the truth about what it took to get there and that, you know, I had had a miscarriage, we had had IVF, and it wasn't easy. And that if we were going to announce with a magazine, um, because they had also covered our wedding and we'd built up a nice relationship with them, I felt I could trust them to do it how I how I had hoped. And, you know, I just basically said to Harry that I just want to be completely honest about this. And he, t- he agreed. And I was overwhelmed by the response that I got. And not only from people that I'd never met but actually people close to me who were suddenly like my sister you know my 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 friend my mum and you realize how common it actually is um and that it really has almost become a bit of a silent epidemic fertility really and this becoming less silent which is so good yes exactly and I think that was the thing so I in answer to your question I I wish I had been able to talk about it more openly I think it would have released a huge weight from my shoulders had I opened up about it sooner but you know maybe to the people that you feel are the right people to open up to and you know I think it's important when you are going through it to put yourself first and and not be afraid to be a little bit selfish for that time Mm. um, and do what you feel is right but I do I definitely think that you know opening up and talking even if it's just to one other person it just relieves a little bit of that burden that you might feel you're carrying around 
if one of your best friends or your sister or someone was having problems or, or, or had decided to embark on IVF, is there one or two bits of advice that you would give them? What do you wish you'd known that you my, know now? My one, um, definitely one bit of advice is to, as I was just saying, be selfish. Allow yourself that time in your life. If you don't want to go to that event or party or meet that particular friend because at that moment in your life they're not giving you quite what you need say no and actually it's really refreshing when you start to say no to things that you realize how much you've been giving Mm -hmm. and when you're about to go through something so intensive you really do and really should put yourself first and and you know that obviously goes for you and your your partner um do the things that make you happy you know do and and surround yourself with the people that you know I always say it's like radiators and and drains you know be around the warmth and the you know just yeah be do whatever it takes to get you through it as as um calmly as you can yeah and your podcast um which is going to be launched in in November um tell us a bit about why you wanted to start a podcast and what you hope to achieve with the podcast yeah so I've started a podcast very exciting called um let's talk fertility because um I I just I'm interested by the subject um I still feel so close to fertility even though I've gone on to have two children which you know I'm I'm so incredibly lucky but I I still when I walk past somebody pregnant get that slight pang and it's it's a very it's almost just like it never really leaves you. you you feel touched by it and so I wanted to create a podcast that would give listeners an informed but also um, supportive conversation and also maybe you know friends and family who are wanting to understand better what their loved one might be going through mm. so hopefully it'll be you know a broad conversation around fertility and presumably you'll cover lots of different aspects of fertility I and mean, we touched upon already in this podcast you know the idea it's not just about the science it's also about the well-being and there's many other things that you can take ownership of that might actually have a really profound effect in terms of your long-term fertility yeah absolutely and that's really important to me to keep the message going about looking after your overall well-being so there are um, holistic experts as well as medical experts and people that are have also gone through the experience and it's it's about working hand in hand uh, with those people and not taking particularly one view or another no exactly so important exactly because everybody is different and you know just because that way worked for me doesn't mean it's necessarily right for someone for someone else yeah. yeah well thank you so much for joining us Izzy it's been so great having this chat and you know I was I was reading up a bit about IVF yesterday and um, reading about Louise Brown who was the first IVF baby to be born and the two people who developed IVF the the two scientists suggested that her middle name was Joy because they said this is going to give so many people so much joy in their life and I think that is such a wonderful thing to have suggested and that they embraced well and and also marina like we wouldn't have met had it not been through our own experiences you know and what we've done for tommy's and the amount of things that and you suddenly realize you're actually surrounded by people that just they do understand so they understand and they understand vulnerability i think we talked about this last week actually on the podcast we had with emma campbell how an admission of vulnerability is so empowering and you know it 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 shows you how strong you actually can mm. be. And I think that's really important. It's something that I want to convey to my children and something that we always talk about in the bump class, Kiara, that actually kind of shouting or telling people when it's not all going so well actually very often feels so much better than pretending it's all perfect. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming to join us Thank today. you for Easy. having me. It's been lovely to chat. Thank you. Your podcast is on, it will be on iTunes, so you can just presumably search for um, let's Izzy talk. Judd and Let's yeah. Talk Fertility uh, iTunes. Uh, if people want to follow you on Instagram, what's uh, your oh, Instagram so I'm handle? at Mrs. Izzy Judd. Um, actually, there might be an underscore in there. I might, <laughs> we might have to put the right one in. I'll put, it, I'll put it in the <laughs> should, I should know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thank sure you. if you just search Izzy Judd, you'll find it. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. And thank you also for being so open and honest about your experience. I know I've talked to people firsthand who've, who've just really been helped a lot by people being open people have a voice being open about their struggles so Ooh, thank, you. thank you and thank you Kiara for joining us and providing us with the sort of medical aspect you always 
kind of put things into perspective, you make it understandable. Quite, quite. I've never really understood uh, IVF before. Today, no, that was feel... very informative. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into another episode of The Parenthood and for making this podcast one of the top ones in the iTunes chart. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're at theparent.hood or you can follow me. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Izzy, Chiara and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.